You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. Welcome to today's episode of On the NBA Beat. I'm Aaron Fishman. We'll be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks with Frank Madden, managing editor and founder of Brewhoop, the SB Nation site. He was born in Bavaria, grew up mostly in Wisconsin, now runs a site called Brewhoop. Despite all of that, he does not drink beer. Without further ado, let's get freaky talking about the Greek Freak and more Milwaukee goodness. Frank, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you on today. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. We're going to start off talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo. For his whole career, he's been a little bit of a darling in basketball internet. But this season, he's definitely emerged, especially his monstrous march. He's been averaging over 19.7 rebounds and 7 assists with one and a half steals and almost two blocks per game to go along with that. How has he shown so much improvement coming into the NBA so raw? And has the team taken specific steps to ensure that he doesn't waste all that potential that he has? Yeah, it's interesting because he's definitely not uh, a typical guy as far as career arc. He's not a guy that, you know, like most most sort of top prospects, guys who become, I don't know if I want to say he's a star right now, but certainly the numbers of the last month suggest that, that that's what he's going to be, if, if not, uh, you know, right now, but in, you know, next year, hopefully in the very near future. So he didn't grow up on the AU circuit. He, you know, even in Europe, he wasn't a guy that was playing in his junior national teams and all that other stuff because he had such a, a weird situation with not being a citizen of basically any country uh, growing up. And, and so he was sort of this, this random guy that I don't know if I'd say slipped through the cracks, but certainly was was not on anyone's radar and and as a result started basketball later didn't have the, the level of training and uh in competition growing up that a lot of guys did and and obviously despite that the bucks had the clairvoyance to to take him in the middle of the first round in, in 2013 and i think certainly he's a guy that got minutes a lot earlier than people expected and in large part just because of the fact that the bucks sort of stumbled their way into a, a tank in uh, in 2013-14 and that gave them you know they, they basically had the latitude to, to really play him with with injuries and guys not performing the way that, that they thought and uh, that on the court experience I think that first year I mean he wasn't you know you look at his advanced numbers I mean he wasn't flashing the sort of even even what other rookies who let's say are of high pedigree guys guys who eventually become stars I mean he wasn't putting up great numbers on a permanent basis or anything like that as a rookie but he was making these plays that made people just sort of say what the heck is this guy where did he come from and so it was interesting because I think the progression he made going into a second season I think was was a huge step that I don't know if people fully appreciated because I think they appreciated the highlights and his quirky personality and all that as a rookie but he certainly was a long way from being a, a good player and I think the the big theme you always hear with him is that he's a guy that really works and puts in the time and wants to be a great player and you know is always asking uh, you know the coaches and people with the team you know about how he he becomes better and, and how he goes from where where he was which you know was a few years ago he's a random kid who could only watch games on tv had never left greece and and obviously now he's, he's making these big strides so 
I think the the interesting thing with him this year is that coming into the season, if you said, "Oh, what is the what is the thing he has to do to be to make the to to make the leap and, and take this next step?" Everyone would have said, "Oh, well, he he has to become a more uh, more consistent outside shooter and has to start hitting threes with some some level of consistency." And ironically, that's the one thing he still doesn't do. And in spite of the fact that the last month in many ways has been one of his worst shooting months, not just this year, but over the last two years, it hasn't mattered. He's playing um, at a level and, and with so much confidence and his ability to get to the rim and make plays for other people and get out in transition and use his, his size and length and, and, and weird athleticism. It's just so overwhelming to, to most NBA defenders that, that it doesn't matter if you play off them a little bit. And certainly as a, as a guy who's now, I mean, we can call him a point guard, we can call him whatever. He has the ball in his hands and he can make plays for others. And, you know, you can back off a guy if you want him to shoot jump shots. He started to do that. I think a lot of people don't realize that he actually shot, you know, I think 42, 43% maybe on long twos uh, the second half of last season. And in many ways has regressed from that. Um, they did tweak his, his shooting motion each of the last two summers to try to clean up his mechanics. He came in as a rookie, ironically shot 35% from three and they, thought he shot a little bit too much over his shoulder. And so they kind of cleaned it up a bit going into a second season and then made some more um, mechanical changes going into this year to sort of try to make it something that he can use more quickly off the dribble. But so far, it hasn't really taken hold. But in spite of that, everything else has kind of come together. And I think a lot of it with Guy, with, with his type of physical talent, a lot of it's just confidence in getting in reps. And he's been experimented with at, at sort of the, the point forward, point guard, whatever you want to call it you know, sort of role. And, you know, in starting summer league two years ago, he looked good sort of creating for himself more, but playing with a bad summer league team, he really didn't have a sense of whether he could do it creating for others. And even in the last year games here and there where he has sort of had to play that role, didn't necessarily see it as a natural thing for him. And even now you kind of get the sense he doesn't exactly know what he's doing, but it almost doesn't matter to some extent. And so I think it'll be really interesting here. We obviously don't have much left the season left, but to watch him, continue to play in that role and the big sort of news today for Bucks fans was hearing Jason Kidd say that he was going to be the guy they were planning to have as a starting point guard going into next year which is of course interesting given Michael Carter Williams is technically still on the team he's out for the rest of the year with an injury but he's still around and and obviously there's been a lot of talk about what the Bucks might do as far as finding uh, you know a potential point guard to play with Giannis or can you play a shooting guard with Giannis who can maybe defend point guards what what exactly do you do from a building standpoint so so that's my long-winded way of saying Giannis is crazy, and uh, it's uh, it's been a wild ride. And and certainly, uh, given his history and, and the fact that he's a guy who's come late to the game and suddenly is is making this big leap, I don't know if we know exactly how good he's going to be. But it's uh, it's definitely been a, a kind of a pinch me type thing for a lot of Bucks fans. I think just seeing that we might finally have a guy in Milwaukee who uh, who could be that sort of type of special maybe perennial All Star type guy that that certainly uh, the Bucks have have not had in a very long time. This year, the Bucks are in the bottom 10 in defensive rating. That's a huge drop-off from last season, where they're second only to the Warriors. Is it just Greg Monroe in there all the time and personnel, or do you think other teams just figured out the Bucks' defensive system? Yeah, I think it's the confluence of, of a, a number of things. I think you mentioned two of them. I think even if they had brought back the same team this year, I think they would have fallen off somewhat in, in terms of a defense just because teams, I think, have adjusted and know what they're trying to do as far as uh, when they try to overload the strong side and 
bring a second defender and and make you sort of throw over the top and, and put air into the ball. And, and last year, that oftentimes led to, to turnovers and, and fast breaks, which was especially important for this team, given that they're they're certainly not a, a team you'd look at and say that they're going to be able to you know score a ton of points and be really efficient in a half, as a half court offense. But this year, I think that teams have adjusted somewhat, and I think certainly from a personnel standpoint, swapping you know effectively. Jabari Parker and Greg Monroe for for Jared Dudley and Zaza Pachulia, you're you're downgrading your you know certainly your defensive capabilities at at two you know starting positions that are pretty important and and you can only I think hide so many guys and and I think certainly um, playing those two guys together has not always been easy and uh, you know again and this is also a young team that I think struggles with consistency and focus and discipline on the defensive end. You know, look at something like the defensive boards. I mean, they were, they were bad last year too. They're even worse this year, even though they were basically the worst <laughs> last year as well. And so, there's a lot of things. I think if you talk with people on, that are with the team, there's just some things that you know guys just haven't picked up. And you know, I think one of the interesting things that that I heard was you know last year. I think at times it was fun. Defense was fun uh, for this team because of the way they played and the communication that, you know, especially a guy like Jared Dudley brought and the turnovers that they forced. And, you know, it's a lot more fun to play defense when you're, you're creating steals and getting layups and, and the other team is, is buckling under that pressure. Uh, this year that hasn't happened. They still force a fair amount of turnovers or seventh in turnover rate, but that has dropped off and just sort of everything has just sort of, I think backslid a fair bit. And I think especially in the early part of the season, just teams being able to get to the paint, and, and not being able to rotate in the way that they play, they really require everybody to be on the same page and, and that team that they rotate and, and that things, you know, kind of move on a string. And when it doesn't happen, and certainly when you have two lesser defenders subbed in for two pretty good defenders, um, you're going to see a drop off there. So I think this year it's, you know, things kind of snowballed a little bit. And as a young team, I think I, I've been surprised, to be honest, that they've been 10th in defensive rating since the All-Star break. You know, you're not going to overhaul a defensive scheme midseason. Uh, so I think the interesting thing for the coaching staff, Jason Kidd, Sean Sweeney, the young assistant who was credited with really engineering the defense last year, what kind of adjustments do they make? But they've been really susceptible to, to teams that can move the ball and, and can make skip passes and find corners, the corner three. And, and that's obviously uh, fundamentally a weakness of, of this type of defense that, that puts a lot of ball pressure and, and tries to force turnovers. Certainly, I, I think given some of the likely personnel changes this summer, you'll see a, a better team next year. And, you know, they've shown at least some improvement during the season. Right. Another issue has definitely been injuries. After a playoff berth last season, a lot of people were expecting the Bucks to improve and contend for home court in the first round this season. But the injury bug has bit hard. Michael Carter-Williams had surgery earlier this month to repair a torn labrum, and he's out for the remainder of the season. Also, we've seen injuries to O.J. Mayo and Gravis Vasquez, among others. What role has injury played in derailing the Bucks and their lofty expectations this season? I, I think they certainly haven't helped, but I don't think I would look at injuries as, and say that, oh, if, if they had just been fairly healthy, then, then they'd win 45 games. Uh, coming into the season, basically from, from free agency on, my, my prediction for this team was that they were probably not going to improve you know they were 41 and 41 year ago and that was my my guess as a as a starting point they would that would probably be somewhere around there this season just because again taking out two really key veteran leadership guys uh guys who are key to the good defense subbing in 
uh, certainly more talented players overall than Jabari and Greg, but obviously Greg brings defensive questions and Jabari brings plenty of defensive questions on top of that. You know, we're, we're talking about a guy who's, who was 20 years old at the start of the season coming off a major knee injury and, you know, effectively a rookie and, you know, history suggests even really talented rookies don't actually help you win any games. So my baseline kind of coming into the season that that this, you know, if they could sort of tread water relative to, to the record last season, that that would be fine. And then maybe the big kind of leap to something close to 50 wins, maybe that's a year away. Obviously, I think where they are now, I mean, they're looking at, you know, maybe they finish in the mid-30s in terms of wins. And some of that's because I think they've been, let's say, more experimental, especially with the injuries over the last few weeks, playing a lot of guys that might not play as much if they were gunning for, you know, trying to win every game. And that was the highest priority. But certainly it's been a disappointing season in terms of record. I think the, the interesting thing is just with the turnaround of Jabari and Giannis, you know, you probably have gotten more or less what you wanted from a development standpoint, which was, you know, I would argue is the most important thing from the season. But obviously with the expectations coming from last year, there, there was a lot of hope that this team could, could certainly at least be a playoff team and, and maybe be better than that. And, and obviously for, for a lot of reasons, and I think a lot of it doing to dating to youth and, and maybe some of those pieces not fitting as well as, as you'd like. And honestly, I mean, certainly have they really missed Michael Carter Williams? I, I don't know if they have, I think his, Destiny in the NBA is probably as a, as a bench guy, six man type, looking more at a you know somebody like Sean Livingston. But I, I honestly don't know how much they've necessarily even missed him, especially with Giannis uh, emerging as sort of the initiator of the offense, and Chris Middleton also being a guy that can can do that, and Jared Bayless moving into the starting five. They haven't really missed a beat. Speaking of Chris Middleton, he's a guy who hasn't missed any games, and he signed a five year, seventy million contract this past offseason which to me seems like a great deal for the Bucks. He fills the stat sheets and consistently hits 40% from three. Can you please describe his myriad strengths? Yeah, it's funny because I, you know, I'll, I'll do stuff on, on radio um, in Milwaukee and in Wisconsin, and it was interesting last summer having to explain why Chris Middleton getting, getting $70 million was actually a really good thing for the Bucks, and, and certainly some people probably kind of scratched their heads, but certainly even the the guy that he was at the end of last season and what we've seen, especially after the first month or two of this season, we started maybe a little slowly. His ability to be a shooter first and foremost is, is huge and, and makes him, I'd say a very fungible player and asset just in general, you know, shooters. And nowadays guys who can defend multiple positions and shoot, you're always going to fit in well with whatever team, you know, you're going to be on. And, I think the interesting thing with Chris is that he's really developed into a guy who can handle the ball and initiate offense, run a pick and roll, get himself a shot. You know, he's not a guy who's necessarily going to get to the rim with ease or draw tons of fouls. He's, he's not sort of that type of explosive athlete, but uh, he's very smooth and he's really refined his, his game over the years. Something that I don't think anybody necessarily thought uh, he was going to be, you know, a guy who in early December, January was basically initiating the offense had a long stretch of averaging, you know, 25 and five, which certainly I don't think people expect the Chris Middleton to ever do. So he's a really, I think when you look at the group they have with Giannis and Jabari, I think this year we've really seen Chris solidify himself as, as the third guy in this sort of, you know, new big three that, that people are, are looking at in Milwaukee. And certainly that contract is looking better and better. And I think the guy that I think he most reminds me of is a guy like Joe Johnson, where he's not a guy that's going to get to the rim a lot. But he can play in isolation. He can pass a bit. He can obviously shoot. 
and is a bit of a taller guy who often can take advantage of mismatches. You know, Middleton will go down post a fair bit, and again, sort of uses his size and, and savvy and shooting ability to uh, to obviously put up impressive overall numbers that were all around numbers, despite the fact that he's not really what you'd say a, a prototypical you know NBA elite athlete. Earlier, you alluded to Jabari Parker's progression. Before the All-Star break, he was shooting well, just not really attempting that many shots. Now his points per game after the All-Star break is up by about seven and a half almost. And he's getting to the line as well. If you also look at his split stats, they're a lot better, his shooting at least, when Milwaukee wins. How instrumental is his play to the team's success and obviously to their future too? Yeah, he, he's definitely been important. I, I think they've tailed off here in the last couple of weeks, losing five straight. And again, I, like I said, I think that's sort of dovetailed a fair bit with, uh, let's say, some of the more creative lineups that Kid has been using, some of the more experimental lineups, playing two bigs at once and playing some of these really young guys, some of these all-bench units, and, and Chris and Jabari and Giannis playing some, some lower minutes. I think for Jabari, I think there are a couple things at play. Uh, I think certainly just getting reps with coming off a knee injury and, and getting not just the physical but, but mental comfort back after coming back from, from obviously a, a major knee injury in December of, of uh, 2014, I guess. So I think that's certainly you expected him to, to get more and more comfortable. There are a lot of people obviously say that it takes two years maybe you know, or a year and a half to, to really come back fully even when a guy's really young. He was making explosive plays almost right out of the box when he came back. He missed the first few games of the season. Early November comes back. and you know, It didn't take long for him to start making some kind of wild plays, but just sort of having the complete package offensive game that that we've always expected Jabari to have in the NBA what people have seen from him throughout his his you know prep career through through Duke and everything that's definitely taken longer and it is interesting coming back from uh, especially coming back from the all-star break a little bit right before the all-star break but uh, coming back from the all-star break just seemed kind of re-energized I don't know if being around you know great players in Toronto and, and taking part in the, the rising stars challenge. I, I don't know if something kind of flipped, if his confidence, his aggression sort of came back a bit more. Cause I think that was one of the things about him the first half of the season was just, he seemed to be kind of trying to figure out how to fit in. He's a guy that, you know, a lot of times just seemed to be looking to pass it right back to a guard or hand it off as soon as he touched the ball and wasn't trying to exploit mismatches. Um, just didn't kind of have ironically. I mean, it's ironic, right? Because you think back to the to that draft, and everyone asking, does, does Andrew Wiggins have the killer instinct, and is he going to take shots and all that? And Jabari being kind of the natural guy in that regard, and sort of a year and a half later, a lot of it obviously is, is probably injury related. But Wiggins is, you know, sort of a chucker for the for the Wolves, and and a, and a high usage guy, and, and Jabari is kind of running around, uh, looking like, oh, I don't want to take too many shots, I don't want to be selfish, I want to pass and do all this stuff. And, and I think Bucks fans were kind of looking at it. And thinking, hey Jabari, you know it's okay to shoot. We, you're drafted to shoot. That's your skill. Do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I think just kind of everything just sort of started to fill, fall back into place. And you know, the, I think the lineup change, sending Greg Monroe and, and Michael Carter Williams to the bench right before the All Star break, inherently meant that that he was going to have more of a role offensively as far as needing to hunt shots. You know, he had to, to take a bigger role in that regard. And he's a really talented guy, obviously, with the ball in his hands. He, he He's a really savvy guy. I mean, I, I think him is, he's a savant offensively. You know, just stuff comes natural to him. I don't know if he's a super high basketball IQ guy at this point, um, but he knows how to work the baseline. I mean, he, he his off-ball cuts. He, he just understands how to play the game. And um, and I think maybe what a lot of people didn't appreciate coming out of college was, I mean, he's an explosive finisher. 
a guy that um, I think I'd, I'd like to see him continue to look for more contact in terms of getting to the line. He's, he's shown flashes of getting better there, but he's still a guy who, who uh, other than sort of dunking everything in the pop-up zone, he, he's not really looking for contact necessarily. So I think he's got a lot of room to grow on offense for sure. Uh, he started to shoot threes a little bit. I think he was, he's somewhere around 40% on, on low volume since the all-star break, which basically you know, he was 0 for 7, 0 for 9, I think before the all-star break. So he started to shoot those corner threes at least and showed some ability there, which I think unlike Giannis, I think Jabari really has the pedigree to be a good shooter. It, you know, it's just, it, you can tell with him, it, it, there's no thinking. He knows how to shoot. He's always shot. He's used to looking for it. Uh, whereas Giannis, I think it's a bit more, the labor sometimes it's almost you can like see him like thinking about it as he's shooting and Giannis you know some of his bricks are just horrendous whereas Jabari is is a guy who looks like he can shoot maybe it's not all quite there yet so I think that's been really encouraging defensively I think there's way more work to do they've put Jabari on wings a lot more over the last few months just so they can kind of keep him out of pick and rolls and and in many ways make his life a little more straightforward even though that often means having him matched up actually against pretty good players so it's uh, he's been a fascinating guy to watch it's been you know great seeing him certainly come around a bit in the second half of the season but um certainly lots lots left to do but again uh just turned 21 and certainly coming off that injury that i think everybody's still really excited about but what he can bring and i don't think he's in Giannis's class in terms of overall upside but um, certainly as a number two guy, I mean, he's, he's certainly an exciting young guy to have and, and a, a major building block, obviously, for the franchise. The Bucks have a pretty big disparity between their home and away record, and I, I guess that's not really that surprising with a young team like them. They're winning fewer than 25% of their road games, and they're six games over 500 at home. What do you think the main reason is for that home-away disparity outside of their inexperience, or is it basically just that in your mind? I will say I, this may be also somewhat wishful. I, I hope that that it's just the youth issue. I think theoretically, I think that's probably the easiest way to explain it. Uh, just because this is a, a younger team, younger than than what they were last year. I think after the Sixers picked up Elton Brand, I think the Bucks officially became the youngest team in the NBA. Although maybe picking up Steve Novak changed that. I don't know, but either way, they're they're a super young team and they play their young guys a lot. So I don't know if it's if it's terribly surprising. I think last year they were 23 and 18, and I think this year they're like 21 and 15 or something like that. So the irony, as you're alluding to, is is that they're really not worse than they were last year at home, but but the real issue has has been on the road. And um, I, again, I, I don't think it's a bad luck thing. I think it's just basically, can you play, especially to, uh, on defense? Uh, do you have that discipline to to bring it every night and and you know, I don't want to say it's just effort or like, oh, they don't play hard enough. I think a lot of it's just focus and, and discipline and, uh, and you know, that, that kind of stuff that I guess is easy to talk about but harder to put into practice. Jason Kidd's a lightning rod. People love him or they hate him, seems like. <laughs> he um, This is now his second season with the team as head coach, and he missed some time earlier in the year with the hip issue. But if you had to isolate one thing – if possible, what do you think are his is his biggest strength and what's his biggest weakness as head coach? Yeah, well, and I think the the couching it as head coach is probably the, the most important thing because I think a lot of the a lot of the lightning that is attracted to Jason Kidd is because of the perceptions, correct or maybe not as correct, but but certainly is his role on and personnel and, and all that other stuff. But I think in terms of his coaching, I think certainly as far as his strengths go, I think. You know, he's a guy who 
is willing to experiment and try different things and uh, isn't afraid of, of playing young guys and giving guys responsibility, uh, which certainly in, in, in Brooklyn was not an issue or was not something that really was, was, was needed. Uh, and then he comes to a super young team where obviously it's, it's much more about the future and, and building towards that. And uh, not to say that, that he's solely responsible for Giannis and Jabari breaking out here eventually, but I think certainly uh, his willingness to hand Giannis the ball and make that move. I don't know how many coaches do that, right? I think that's certainly an encouraging thing. I mean, we'll get to the defense in a moment, but I think that's certainly a, a positive. Uh, generally, you know, you talk about Jason Kidd, if, if a guy works hard and, and it's deserving of minutes, he's generally going to get him. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to bench a young guy because he doesn't like something about him other than maybe the fact that he doesn't work hard or hasn't put in the time. So I think that's generally a positive thing, especially on a young team. And he clearly has a lot of, you know, gravitas with, with young players and his, his pass as a player. And I think his style so far has, has generally been, been a very good thing. Certainly seems like guys like Giannis and Jabari have taken to him and certainly give him the benefit of the doubt, which certainly I think in this day and age, it's probably half the battle for, for coaches. So, I think certainly that that's been a positive. Uh, I think as a negative, you know, it's interesting because a year ago we would have said certainly the defensive end was a strength. Uh, this year they they just haven't been able to figure it out. And kid's a guy I think as a strength. He's a guy who isn't afraid to to be more of a maybe manager rather than a guy who dictates everything on both ends. Joe Prenti does most of the offensive sort of focus. Sean Sweeney does the defense, and uh, I think. When you look at him, though, this year, they, they have not been able to figure out the defensive side of the ball. So that's probably my biggest question for him as a coach going into the summer is what do you do to figure that out and what kind of adjustments do you make to, to solve that? So that's probably an open question. And other than that, you know, I think I mean, I won't get into all the other stuff around Kid because I think, understandably, he's a, he's a controversial guy and his personality has certainly rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. But, you know, for me, ultimately, it comes down to is he a guy that people want to play for and so far, it seems like they still do, especially with the young guys. So, you know, I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see with, with all the other stuff that goes on with him, if he's back or not next year. I assume yes, but nothing would surprise me with, with Jason Kidd. Speaking of lightning, both seasons under Jason Kidd, the Bucks have had a problem with technicals. This season, they're tied for having the third most, and last season, they were fourth in the league with 74. Why is the team so hot-headed? Do you think um, it's mainly an extension of their head coach? Because before Kid was there, they didn't seem to get very many. You know, I had not even realized that they ranked in the top five until until you guys brought this up with me. So I, again, I'm I'm a little surprised. I, I was looking at the stats a little bit, and it looks like it's sort of technical by committee. Like there's no, it's not like you have Boogie Cousins or or, or Durant or Westbrook picking up. 15 to 20 and everybody else sort of chips in a little bit. Uh, I think the most anybody has is six. I think it's Middleton is tied with OJ Mayo. So it's sort of a weird, a weird combination of guys. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, the fact that it was also last year suggests that maybe isn't just purely a, uh, uh, this season's frustrations. Um, but, but I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe it's, it's the, them being young guys, maybe not feeling like they get the respect they deserve. I was surprised Greg Monroe didn't need them in text just because Monroe thinks that he gets fouled every time he, he misses a shot. So uh, that's a little bit of surprise for me. I don't know if I'd trace it to Kid just because Kid's generally kind of a, more of a stoic guy who picks his spots, but it's, uh, it's definitely kind of a, a random stat. And you already talked about how post-All-Star break, 
the team is sort of shifting focus, at least offensively, away from Greg Monroe in favor of Jupari Parker. He's shooting a lot less after the All-Star break. And also you mentioned earlier this episode how obviously Greg Monroe's defense is a step down from who you replaced, Laza Pachulia. But since he was the big offseason signing for the Bucks. And they've disappointed a lot of expectations this season. Do you think there are other ways where Monroe's fit with this team wasn't exactly where people were expecting it to be? It's a little interesting because I think you look at what Greg's done on both ends in many ways. And you'd say he kind of was the guy that he was last year. And nobody should be too shocked by that. Uh, But by the same token, I I don't think I, I mean, I don't don't blame Greg Monroe for particularly, I think, uh, I mean, his, his number, you just look at him statistically and you'd say, you know, he's had a very good year and he's a guy that I think probably they would miss more than many people would expect if they, you know, if he just got traded for nothing or something that somebody didn't contribute right away. So again, it's, it's an interesting situation because I feel like I, I'm generally, def- I defend Greg Monroe's honor, but at the same time, I think he's a guy that the Bucks have to see if they can move this summer just because of the fit questions and I think a lot of it ties to Jabari, really on both ends, but but especially on the defensive end. Even if Jabari is playing small forward defensively, uh, you know, hiding two guys like that, especially when one of them is is the center, who's you know in most defensive systems, obviously he's the fulcrum of the defense. Uh, if you don't read things really well, or if you don't have sort of those innate physical abilities as a rim protector, it's just very difficult, especially in this system and, and the movement it requires to really make a, a positive impact. And so I think that's just been a really difficult thing for him. And so I, I think at the end of the day, I, you know, again, what, what exactly can Greg Monroe fetch? He's a, he has a player option for, for the 17, 18 season. So he's effectively an expiring deal this summer. I don't know if, if that's worth a ton, uh, but can they get uh, another big man who maybe fits better? Can they get maybe a lesser talent sort of rotation player plus some kind of pick? Those are the sorts of things I, I think I'd, optimistically say you'd hope you could get and uh, I think especially with Jabari on both ends looking better without Greg Monroe I think offensively you know Monroe's moved back in the starting lineup in the last few weeks and you know we've Jabari's had more sort of off games more games where he's been a little bit more invisible which I think also is just the fact that you have more you know more guys who need shots on on the floor at the same time versus uh, playing with Miles Plumlee who's obviously purely a, a just a rim roller a guy who catches lobs um there's just naturally more opportunities for a guy like Jabari. So I think it's sort of in everybody's best interest. I'm, I'm sure Greg Monroe would not be, you know, broken up if he got moved to a team that was pretty good that could use him um, because I think he probably sees that, that he's not a, an ideal fit in, in Milwaukee. But, you know, I give them credit for trying. He's obviously a big splash. They certainly weren't so talented that they couldn't try to take a shot on a guy and, and maybe see if, you know, Sean Sweeney's defensive magic could uh, could work him into the system and make it work. But I think certainly it just uh, just hasn't quite worked out the way anybody would have hoped and um, probably best to move on at this point. And another statistical thing about the Bucks is that they're attempting the fewest threes in the league. And in my mind, I guess I would assume that's more of a personnel issue than a coaching philosophy because really the only prolific three-point shooters on the team that are hitting a good percentage are Chris Middleton and Jared Bayless. Bayless specifically this season's shooting 44% on 4.5 threes per game. He spent most of the season coming off the bench, but recently in the last couple weeks, he's moved into the starting lineup. Maybe that's some of the lineup experimentation that you were alluding to. Which role do you think 
for Jared Bayless coming off the bench or starting, do you think is more suited for the Bucks for his type of game? I'll, I'll admit, last summer, Jared Bayless was a guy that I was hoping would be moved, uh, yeah, especially as they were you know, looking to sort of trim some of the, the veteran salary that they didn't need. That meant eventually moving Zaza and, and, and Jared Dudley. I certainly would have much rather seen Bayless moved in the, in the Krivis Vasquez trade than either of the picks that they sent. But to his credit, he's been the best Jared Bayless I think you could have hoped for this year. And the interesting part is, even with having multiple ankle injuries and missing time here and there, he's always sort of popped back up after a couple weeks out and, and shot exceptionally well and, and been a really key guy, especially given the, the lack of other shooters on the team. So I've been very happy that they moved him in the starting lineup. I think they, they are actually surprisingly effective with OJ Mayo uh, when, you know, basically once Giannis sort of became the guy and Mayo was was effectively sort of the, the token point guard, the guy who defended point guards. That line, those lineups actually worked very well. They score a lot of points in spite of the fact that OJ wasn't shooting well and, and the other guys, you know, Chris Milton was the only other proven shooter really on the floor. And they've been really good with Jared Bayless on the floor with the starting group as well offensively. So I think it's an interesting test case because I think going into the summer, there's the big question of what the Bucks do with the, with the backcourt, with Bayless, Mayo, going into free agency. Grace Vasquez, who hasn't you know, really played, going into free agency. Certainly Michael Carter-Williams coming off an injury and a lot of speculation that he might be traded or, you know, uh, at a minimum, he, he's not going to be the starter going into next season. I think it's been interesting to sort of see how, how Giannis works with a combo guard next to him. Uh, in the backcourt that can be more of a spot-up shooter, and I think generally it's worked pretty well. I actually would, would be more than happy to, to see the Bucks try to bring him back. Um, we'll see what kind of offers he gets, but he's certainly been a guy that I think has played very well and a guy that I, I would have no problem with coming back next year. And, you know, if uh, if they want to go another year, sort of handing the reins to Giannis and even starting Jared Bayless, I'd be okay with that in the short term. I don't think you're going to win a title with Jared Bayless necessarily starting at point guard, but it's something that I, I think given what we've seen with the other guys, it's uh, it's certainly a guy that might fit pretty well. We're going to just try to squeeze in a couple more questions really quickly. The first is Rashad Vaughn is a player who I heard analysts getting really excited about him before the season, and the season hasn't gone too well. But are there any promising signs that you've seen out of him at all? I guess the best thing we can say about Rashad is that he's young. Uh, he's the second <laughs> he has that player. His favorite. <laughs> Uh, of course, the irony is that the only other guy younger is Devin Booker, who hasn't had any problems uh, adjusting the way the way Rashad has. I'll say this. I didn't really get Vaughn as the guy in the draft. I was definitely more of a Bobby Portis guy. And Look, Bobby Portis isn't like a franchise savior either, but I think the Vaughn pick was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me just because you know, I, I think if you thought this team needed shooting, I don't think – I think the big issue with the Bucks coming into the season was that their good players couldn't shoot well, not so much that they needed to find, you know, a rookie 19-year-old to come in and save the day with the shooting. So, I mean, he was an interesting player. He's young. He moves his feet well on defense. I think he has potential on that side. He's got a gorgeous shot. But, I mean, you look at the numbers. I mean, he's having one of the worst rookie seasons, not just of any rookie this year, but Bucks history. There are not many guys who've played as many minutes as, as he has and has have been as unproductive as he has. I mean, I think his PRs sub four or something like that he's shooting you know 30 percent at the rim or something like that 29 percent overall i mean it's just been a disastrous season he clearly has talent he's a guy with pedigree i mean he was in the mcdonald's all america and he scored a lot at unlv i don't know if he's going to be more than a rotation player in the nba he had a very good first two weeks in in the preseason shot the ball really well and then sort of the wheels have just completely come off since then 
And you have a little bit of um, some silver lining with regard to O.J. Mayo. He clearly had the worst shooting season of his career, which this season is over now for him after he broke his ankle. He's still only 28, will be 29 next season, and a free agent. So there are a lot of question marks about his future with the Bucks, but also the rest of his NBA career. What are you encouraged by from him, and what do you think are his prospects in, in finding a team that will want him and, and give him what he wants? That's a great question. I, I think his the supply and demand for a guy like him, I don't really know what it'll look like this summer. I think I don't know if anybody does, given that he's obviously not going to be anybody's top choice as a free agent, and he's coming off a, a really injury-hit year where he played hurt, missed a bunch of games, and, and shot the worst of his career by far. But the irony is that, you know, and I don't think anybody would have predicted it, but over the last two years, he really sort of reinvented himself as this sort of scrappy, cagey veteran guy who got after it on defense. And, you know, anytime there was a fast break and Mayo got the ball, he would always look for Giannis Jabari to try to get them a dunk. Just stuff like that. You know, these little things that you don't normally, you wouldn't certainly think of, of old OJ Mayo, who a lot of people, uh, certainly in Dallas and, and, and Memphis, you know, were not very fond of him, even when he was putting up decent numbers. So he had a weird sort of re reinvention of himself as, as sort of this veteran leader guy who, you know, really didn't look for a shot necessarily. I mean, he still shot threes, but wasn't hunting shots, wasn't forcing stuff, even as he struggled. So I, I certainly, I have a soft spot for him, Uncle Juice, my guy, Uncle Juice. We'll see what the demand for him is. We'll see what happens with the Bucks in the draft and with guys like Bayless. Finally, I want to ask you about the Syracuse-North Carolina game on Saturday. The last time... Syracuse went to the Final Four. Bucks point guard Michael Carter-Williams led them there. They also have another Orangeman, Tyler Ennis, and a Tar Heel, John Henson. To your knowledge, is anything riding on that game? Uh, I'm not aware. John Henson's been tweeting a lot about, uh, about his Tar Heels. He's been pretty vocal. Normally, it's Henson and uh, Jabari Parker trash-talking about Duke. But obviously, uh, that'll change a little bit with the, uh, the Syracuse stuff coming up. So Michael Carter-Williams is, hasn't been around the team a whole lot, given he's been rehabbing his uh, torn labrum. I think he was back, actually, today, yesterday. So maybe there was some good hard trash talking, but I'm not sure if anybody has anything riding on it. So, But I'm sure there'll be uh, plenty of fun uh, trash talk on the practice court and uh, maybe in the locker room, uh, depending on what happens. Frank, I want to thank you again for coming on. Everyone we know wants to know about Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jabari Parker, and you gave us the goods. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks.